Podcast fluid is the best. I wish we all had a beer. I'm so sorry we don't all have a beer. I'd be pissed if I had beer. Like in which sense of the term? I mean, if I had birch beer, I'd be straight. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Hello and welcome to the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, podcast number 233, the uh, podcast which uh, comes after the game, the game that uh, was won by the University of Mary Hardin-Baylor by the score of 24-16. to 16. I'm Pat Coleman at D3Football.com. If this is the first podcast you've listened to out of our 233, maybe you're a Mary Hardin-Baylor fan who's uh, celebrating a big win, but we're going to go around the table and uh, just uh, reintroduce everybody. I'm Keith McMillan. I'm Frank Ross. I'm Adam Turr. And I'm Greg Thomas. Yeah, that's you get you got a five person podcast here as we wrap up the twenty eighteen Division Three football season. We wrap up a stag bowl, which saw Mary Harden Baylor win its second national championship, both of them coming in the last three years by the score of twenty four to sixteen over to the University of Mount Union. We had had some discussion about this before the game, and if we had kind of taken a new ballot coming into the game, we already knew we had more than five people who were willing to vote for Mira Hardin-Baylor before this game started. I don't know where we would have ended up, but it was pretty evenly split of the ballots that we got in early. And I think that kind of showed. Well, the themes were definitely pretty, pretty evenly matched. I mean, you play this game 10 times, maybe it's a 5-5 five, five split. I thought Mary Harden-Baylor did what it needed to do to win today. It, in the fourth quarter, you know, its offensive line was, was opening holes. Its quarterback made the, uh, the, the wisest decisions. Its defense didn't make mistakes, and, and Mountain Union's defense made one pretty big mistake deep in the red zone. <laughs> Mary Harden-Baylor, I, I thought, deserved this one. It's their, sto- their storybook ending, right? They, they get to win a national championship. They beat the team that beat them in the Stag Bowl last year. They get to do it in Texas in front of a very partisan crowd in a season where Coach Fredenberg has had personal issues, you know, family in the hospital. He's had, he had to sit out the first three games because of minor impermissible benefit violations that took place in the offseason on his staff. And they finished it in a storybook manner, and it, and it was a very team win. There was no one guy who dominated. There was no one play that was lucky that changed it. It, it took everybody. It took special teams. It took some bad calls overcoming them, some bad uh, turnovers. That led to Mount Union's first touchdown. I think for Mary Harden Baylor, probably wouldn't have written a much different ending. This was very enjoyable for, for their fans. It was enjoyable for everybody out there, I've got to say. It, it just you could feel the tension on that sideline from where I was standing. I was standing actually next to Corey Fredenberg during uh, the last UMHB drive. And remind us about Corey Fredenberg's story. And Corey just had a uh, kidney transplant, uh, what, eight days ago, she said. I couldn't believe she was standing there. It looked tremendous, stood there the entire game. God bless her for what she went through and what she was able to do tonight to be with her uh, family down there. But everybody was just kind of like, is this it or isn't this it? And then they try that long pass play that basically gave Mount Union a real chance ultimately with uh, limited timeouts and limited time. But uh, it was just one of the best, if not the best in my 12 that I can remember, honestly. I was asked that question just a few days ago, which one was the best? Whitewater beating Mount Union still might be number one the first time because that was my first one. This is right there. I'd have to assess it. I mean, it certainly depends who you ask. The, the Mount Union fans, this one don't, won't be their favorite. But I thought the, the Purple Raiders were resilient. Uh, e- even when it looked like they'd given it their last shot and they miss it on the fourth and four when, uh, when Justin Hill slips and, and D'Angelo Fulford lost that pass from him in the end zone, that's incomplete. Defense still gets the ball back for Mount Union. They get one more shot, and they make it interesting again. And, uh, and, and you know, this is a one-score game, the final 24-16. The defender's now 25 yards off the line of scrimmage here on fourth down and 25. Keeney with a quick out to the near side to Harrington. Harrington's going to lateral it back to the middle for Keeney once again. Keeney's going to settle it back once again for Harrington. They're back at the 30. They're going the wrong direction. Lou Berry is in the game. Lou Berry's in the game. He laterals it back to Harrington. I mean, they're going the wrong way. They are going definitely the wrong way. But But uh, the ball is alive. Petroselli with it back at the 15-yard line. That's going to go forward, and and that will end it right there. 
And uh, the time has expired. Mary Harden Baylor is going to rush the field, having won Stag Bowl 46. The championship of the 2018 Division III football season goes to Mary Harden Baylor by the score of 24 to 16. Big deal for, for Mary Harden Baylor to win it, and, and I think it was an even bigger deal for them to beat Mount Union in this particular season when it's been, you know, for a 15-0 team to say it's been a trying season. It almost never happens, but I think it, it's true in this case for the crew. Yeah, and this is Mary Harden Baylor has now been to uh, three straight Stag Bulls. They've won two out of three. And Plus two out of three, There's really no denying that they have taken that next step. For a long time, they sort of lived in an area underneath Mount Union and Whitewater, and now, you know, they have they have certainly climbed that last step, and they are, you know, one and one A with with Mount Union, and uh, I mean, number one tonight. Right, and one and one A, they have uh, they've established themselves as being level equal with Mount Union, kind of going forward right now. Yeah, I mean, they're the program of the moment in Division Three right now, Greg and Pat and Frank. I mean. Three straight stag bowls, two wins. They they beat. Uh, this is what impressed me the most. They beat everybody on the way to get here. You look at their road to to the stag bowl. They look at the road to the championship tonight. Started with number seven Harden Simmons in round one. Then they beat Barry quite handily in round two. That was a top twenty team. Then got to beat number three St. John's, number five Whitewater, and number one ranked team on most ballots, Mountain Union. And after all the ballots come in tonight. It'll be clear you'll get 25 votes for, for Mary Harden-Baylor. Yeah, and I, I mean, Mary Harden-Baylor, the way that the bracket laid out for them, they had to go through every other legitimate challenger for the national title that we thought we would have at the start of the tournament. They, like, there was no elimination on the other side for any of them. They had to beat every single one. So there's, there's no question who, who the king of the mountain is in, in 2018. In the course of this podcast, we'll talk about what our uh, what we think the final top twenty-five will look like, or where where we might kind of shake down teams on our ballots. Uh, you'll see the final top twenty-five basically around the same time that you uh, see this podcast. If everybody gets their ballots in, I'm I'm not I'm not looking at uh, you, Adam. I'm sorry. I'm looking at all the everybody's who haven't uh, turned in a ballot yet. Also, in this podcast, we will uh, talk about uh, well, you know, we have one piece of business yet to uh, discuss so we do that on the final podcast every year determine who will be the uh, d3football.com offensive player of the year defensive player of the year and coach of the year that is a, a discussion that you know we literally have live on the air we have not had a full discussion of it before this podcast so you'll get to hear our thought process and yeah well, i would say you get to hear the first announcement of it but of course you'll hear this on tape delay and then uh what else do we have left? Those are the major items, right? Uh, those are the things we usually do in this podcast. So that's uh, I'm just kind of letting people know. I'm also letting people know that as we go into the 2019 season and we go into the 2019 calendar year that the, the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is available for sponsorship. I would love to talk to somebody about, you know, doing something for not a terrible large amount of money for 40 podcasts or something like that. Let's think about what we can do on a long-term basis where you can have your voice heard on a regular basis, get in front of Division Three fans or Division Three coaches or Division Three players, you know, whichever of those audiences is more important or more salient or relevant to you. We would love to talk about sponsorship for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Keith and I would wax poetic about your product or service at some point, many times over the course of, we're going to do 40 podcasts in 2019. Yeah, can we just get through tonight first? <laughs> okay, it's, let's get through it, tonight. It's ten fifty Central Time here in Shenandoah, Texas. That's right. It's an hour earlier, though. Oh, yeah, East Coast time. It's eleven fifty. <laughs> right. So, if you want to sponsor the podcast, uh, drop me a line at pat.coleman at d3sports.com, and we can uh, we can talk we can talk turkey, we can talk mistletoe, we can talk all sorts of things. You know what time it is right now, guys. It's Miller time. <laughs> was that uh, so? Is that Markeith, Markeith Miller time or yeah. KJ Miller time? That joke's so obvious. It, it it's, wrote itself. It's uh, all the above and then some, actually. I'm not going to use the drop again. So I, you're, you're, I don't uh, know what you're, you're begging suck. for. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, 
It was good one time. It was good one time when it was organic. It's not as good when you uh, artificially try to uh, inseminate the podcast with uh, with drops. I think it's okay. Whoa, to with drops. <laughs> um, oh I thought Pat was trying to. I mean, I thought Frank was trying to say it's it's time to uh, go across the way and get a beer. A couple of you guys got a little early start on the uh, on the drinking, but. Um, <laughs> Some of us are, are trying to wrap this season up. Uh, Adam's, uh, Adam's writing, so that's important. I'm here. I'm here. I'm just writing all of the words you're going to read about this game. And Keith's going to write some, too. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, that is true. I have at least six to eight graphs done. Let's talk about Mount Union and the running game, for example. Uh, we, we had, you know, basically the big running play of the game was Josh Petroselli picking up 23 yards on a fake punt and... You know, beyond that, it's uh, 36 carries for 83 yards for Mount Union. And, uh, you know, aside from early in the game when Fulford was able to get loose, the uh, the, the, the crew defense really kind of tightened up. Yeah, but this was never going to be a dominant running game for, for either offense. Mount Union's defense, those guys rally to the ball. They're, so, they're fast. They're disciplined. You see the same thing from the Mary Harden-Baylor defense, right? They, it's a very simple defense to execute so they don't make mistakes. They, they're dropping seven in coverage, so there's not a lot of big pass plays there. And, they, and they, all those guys are dropping back, so they're facing the, the run plays. When they see them, they rally to the ball quickly. It was, it was never going to be a six yards, five yards per carry kind of game. Uh, by the same token, though, they definitely didn't uh, – Mountain Union definitely did not get Josh Petroselli going. You know, you take away the 23-yard carry on the fake punt, he's averaging below three yards per carry. The best runner, really, was D'Angelo Fulford. He carried 19 times, and that's a little more than you'd like to see from your quarterback. But he was certainly uh, effective on some of his runs. Uh, but ultimately, he ended up averaging 2.4 yards per carry. And then Jawanza Evans-Morris had a couple of carries. The, the rushing numbers weren't all that much better for Mary Harden-Baylor, and that's a team that, that prides itself on being able to run the ball. Mary Harden-Baylor, 41 carries for 156 on Friday night. Mount Union, 31, 37 for 109 on Friday night. Both teams, 303 total yards of offense. So it, as far as exciting a game as was, it certainly wasn't an offensive explosion. I do want to say two things, though, about uh, the rushing game. Uh, first off, uh, give some of the yardage that you're, you're seeing in receiving yards for T.J. Josie into the rushing column because those kind of uh, sweeped up the middle uh, shovel passes that he took really were uh, run plays when he get down to it. Number two, I remember that point where I came uh, or you came down to me where I was talking about Coach Fredenberg on the bench talking about the tackles. Uh, basically sealing off for D'Angelo Fulford off the edges. And it seemed like right after that drive, we didn't talk nearly as much about D'Angelo Fulford getting to the edge. That, uh, that was done working after the first quarter was done and after they you know built up their initial lead. So good adjustment by them during the first half, not even waiting to halftime to get that adjustment. I, I think, too, because of the way Mary Harden-Baylor plays defense, remember that the one touchdown drive for Mount Union was set up by a turnover. It was a five-play, 23-yard drive. Jace Hammock kind of hesitated when he was putting it in the stomach of Markeith Miller. Couldn't decide whether he wanted to give it, keep it, kept it, and then ultimately let it go. A bunch of Purple Raiders jumped on it, and it was a, it was a big turnover and enabled Mount Union to have a 10-point uh, a lead you know, 12 minutes into the game. Right, and that's a, a kind of lead that uh, a lot of teams against Mountain Union would see as insurmountable in a lot of cases. That is like the beginning of the runaway. But, uh, but after that, Mountain Union kicked a field goal with 10 minutes left in the second quarter. They kicked a field goal with seven minutes left. When they got down to the, the four-yard line, and they had to cut it to a one-score game, that made it 24-16. And then Mountain Union drove a couple of times more in the fourth quarter with its last two possessions, but didn't put any points on the board. So uh, overall, you'd have to be really happy with the way Mary Harden-Baylor defended not just the run, but overall, because the weapons that that Mount Union offense ha has uh, are, are tough for many teams to defend. It was finishing in the red zone, which ended up being a, a major difference in the game. Mount Union got down there a handful of times. They left with uh, a couple of turnover on downs and a couple of field goals, and they did uh, their touchdown uh, Fulford punched in from one yard there. Um, Mary Harden-Baylor, on the other hand, they scored two touchdowns in the red zone. Uh, the K.J. Miller touchdown, they caught Mount Union uh, in some defensive confusion there. Well, wide open, 16-yard touchdown. Uh, and that, you know, finishing in the red zone and being sound in the red zone defensively is really 
you know, one of the the big things that that created the the difference in the game. Yeah, it's unusual really to talk about Mount Union not finishing in the red zone and not finishing on the goal line. And part of that too was circumstances in the game. You know, at that that point where they kicked the field goal at, at the seven oh six mark in a different type of game, maybe they they go for it there. But it, it, essentially, it was twenty three fourteen, and they they needed to get it to a one score game, and and ultimately they gave themselves a chance to win by by doing that. But you, yeah, Greg, you're right. You know, both teams three or four in the red zone. Neither team really all that great on third down. Maryard Baylor was four of 11, Mount Union seven of 19. So it was as we expected to some degree, a game where, where defenses controlled things, but there was enough offense to make it exciting. There were big pass plays down the field. They were, Mount Union was able to hit some stuff over the middle. You had Fulford taking off and running. Yeah. You had the, the TJ Josie catch for a touchdown in the first half, tremendous catch. You had that one play where, where Hammock thrown off his back foot and just pure arm strength, lofts it up there. K.J. Miller runs under it. And then you had the, the touchdown late in the game from Hammock to Miller where it was, it was uh, Mountain Union was trying to substitute Hot Reed. Uh, Miller said in the postgame, I, I was screaming. I, I, didn't know if, I didn't know if he saw me or I didn't know if he heard me, but I'm glad he saw me is what he said. Yeah. The, the, the two passes that you mentioned by Hammock there, the, uh, the pass to K.J. Miller and then the touchdown pass to T.J. Josie, that came at a critical, critical time for, Mount, or for Mary Harden Baylor. Down 10-0 to zero. in this game last year, they scored zero. And, you know, Mount Union jumps. They get the first break on the fumble. Then they kick a field goal. It's 10-0. to zero, And there's a little bit of a feeling of here we go again maybe a little bit. And they hit two big plays down the field, score a touchdown, and that sort of settles everything down for them for the rest of the game. Uh, one thing I, uh, I'm curious to see what you guys think about is the Jared Ruth factor. Uh, ultimately, when he does come in and play, it seemed like they had to commit a little bit more in terms of resources toward him defensively, and that opened up Hill a little bit in the first half. It seemed like eventually they were noticing I, what I was noticing, which was they were limited in the way they were using Ruth. Almost, we were talking about this coming into the week, decoy-esque. I mean, he's still out there catching balls, but he's definitely not running deep routes with any kind of uh, quickness down there. What did you guys see from up here about Ruth? I, I thought a lot of it is a function of the way Mary Harden-Baylor plays defense. They're based 4-2-5, so they've always got five defensive backs on the field. And they play it in, the, in this Tampa 2 style which basically means your, your linebackers are dropping into zones as well. So you saw Fulford very wisely uh, several times early in the game take the throws that were in the middle of the field in that intermediate area, you know, 5 to 15 yards. He hit Ruth over the middle a few times. He hit Petroselli out of the backfield a few times. That's because there's nothing open down the field because there are, they're dropping five defensive backs playing soft coverage, plus you have two linebackers dropping back, and the whole goal of the defense is to keep everything in front, rally up and tackle. So... I thought Mountain Union actually did a nice job, you know, not trying to force things down the field because you can't, you know, you just you can't afford to have the turnovers. You can't just huck it down the field and hope and pray. Jared Ruth comes down with one, Justin Hill comes down with one. You can take some shots, but you have to take them wisely when you get the coverages you want. And Mary Harden Baylor really never allows that. And what makes them so tough to score on is because you need to drive down the field. Nine play, ten play scoring drives, and it's just hard to do against that defense. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and I, I do think that Jared Ruth being able to go tonight uh, created a, a level of comfort for Mount Union's offense. They've been scuffling a little bit, and you know, some maybe some of the reason is they haven't had Jared Ruth. He's been a very important part of that offense. Uh, I thought Fulford looked very comfortable and confident, uh, particularly early on, and he was targeting Ruth early on. And in fact. Ruth targeted 10 times today. That's, you know, that's uh, tied for the, the top number of targets for Mount Union. Uh, Justin Hill also targeted 10 times. But Ruth seemed to settle the Mount Union offense that, that we had some questions about coming into this game. Yeah, Mount Union ran more plays, 75 to 60. They were able to put together some long drives, 11-play scoring drive, 14-play scoring drive, 8-play scoring drive, but all those drives that I just mentioned ended in field goals. They also had a 9-play drive that didn't end at any point. So it's just what's so, it's so tough. You know, Mount Union was able to get first downs, right, 16 first downs tonight, uh, or 19 first downs tonight. It, it wasn't that they couldn't move the ball. It was that they couldn't punch it in when they, when they got down deep. And uh, – that that's a tough way to win games, and that's how you get get a twenty four sixteen final where Mary Harden Baylor is the champion 
for the second time in three years. And we talked about it at the half, right? Uh, Mountain Union goes three and out on its first drive, but then it's field goal, touchdown, field goal. And then for like the rest of the first half, it is punt, missed field goal, interception, punt, punt, and then the field goal, right, to get it back to an eight-point game and then turnover on downs twice in a row. You know, if you're uh, Mount Union, though, at halftime, you've got to be saying to yourself in this game, we've had the ball probably five to six more minutes than they have. We've got more yardage, I believe, at that point than they have. And, boy, we're down one point still somehow. That had to be just deflating for them in that locker room and allowed that momentum to really, I think, carry Mary Harden Baylor in the third quarter into the fourth like that. Yeah, I don't think there's a point ever in this game until the, the final seconds tick off. A Mountain Union doesn't think it's in good shape, has a chance to win. For a defense that seemed to always make a play at, at the – Turn the turn the tide in a game, come up with a turnover, a score, pretty much any time they needed to all season, especially when the tight games they played in the regular season against Johns Hopkins and Wyndham Muhlenberg and Johns Hopkins. I'm sorry, John Carroll in the in the regular season, Johns Hopkins in the playoffs. When those games got tight, they got great plays from their defense. Defense put touchdowns on the board. Mary Harden Baylor very deliberately tonight. Not they were creative offensively, but not risky. And, and only had the one turnover, and I think that mattered. And now we welcome on most outstanding player of the 2018 Stag Bowl, Mary Harden-Baylor wide receiver, sometimes quarterback, <laughs> do it all, TJ Josie. You, you've had a little bit of time for it to sink in. You celebrate with your teammates. Uh, you know, what is this moment like, and how is it different than your first championship two years ago? Uh, I mean, just the emotion behind this win. Uh, we went through so much this season. Uh, we started off uh, not having Coach Fred for the first three games, uh, losing a brother like Tevin, and uh, just just having to fight through that, that tough playoff uh, run that we had. And uh, I mean, it's my last game, so it, it's, it feels great. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of things. That you, it wasn't just one thing, like you just yeah, mentioned. Yeah. There, there, you mean you lose your, your starting linebacker, who was going to be one of your senior leaders right before the season. Uh, you know, you you're not with your coach in the off season or for the first three games. Did all that adversity help you guys in some ways band together? I mean, did you seniors have to take on an even bigger role? Oh, definitely. Uh, we we sat down and uh, we sat down with Coach Harmon. Uh, all the seniors, no, not most of the like most of the seniors and all the captains. We sat down and. Uh, we, I mean, we just we just had to we had to find a way to to not not make it a distraction to the team. Uh, I mean, we knew we wouldn't have our leader and coach Fred, but uh, I mean, we still had to keep things going. And uh, I think we started. I mean, we started the season pretty well. And man, I just lost four years, honestly. And we see a lot of guys here from the 2004 team that was, yeah. was the first first crew team to make it to the Stag Bowl, yeah. and they, they couldn't get the job done. Uh, but they're so happy and excited for you guys, and having the support of guys you know who who started this. I mean, this is still a young program. Oh you yeah, know, it's only sure. 21 years old. Uh, you know, what does it mean for you guys to be the ones to to have the breakthrough to, to set the standard? You know, elevate the standard. Uh, I mean, it's it's amazing. Uh, those guys they built the tradition, and uh, we wouldn't be here without them. And in our locker room, I mean, it, you see pictures of. All those guys when they when they were playing, and uh, it just it just means a lot because uh, it means a lot to them. It definitely means a lot to us that we were actually able to come out come out and win it. But uh, I mean, the, these types of wins are for those guys. And you know, finally, the other thing that's different about this year compared to your first Stag Bowl win is doing it in Texas. Yes, and for sure. the, the crowd was incredible oh, and yeah. the support. You know, how much you know when you guys got especially when you got down early in the game. You know, how much did they help? motivate you guys and just energize you guys and keep the keep the positivity up i mean when we found out it was going to be in texas uh our goal was to be the team that wanted in texas and uh i mean we set out we did we, com we completed our goal and our fans were amazing they traveled like crazy i had so many family members there and they messaged uh just messing with me after the game and i even had i even had old high school coaches uh old high school friends and man they traveled like crazy and even for the people that uh that couldn't make it out to, to houston and shenandoah uh, I mean, I got I, my phone was blowing up after the game with, with fans just just, just congratulating us. Uh, sure, and then uh, you know, the most outstanding player award. Uh, you know, it was a total team effort. Uh, but but what does it mean to you to to be the one your senior year, last game of your career, to, to go out on that note? Uh, crazy thing is that that's probably my first time I've, I've won that award. I mean, I've won like the game ball from from just just having like incredible touchdowns, and incredible catches uh, from our coaches. But I've actually actually never won that award from from the uh, the school or from from anywhere honestly so 
I mean, it was great. Uh, I, I told the coaches from the get-go, hey, hey, if you need someone to, to rely on, I'm, I'm going to be your guy. I, this is my last game, and I'm going to give everything I got, and that's what I did tonight. And then we talked a lot about this season and the, the theme of redemption was something we talked about in our pregame for just a lot of teams and people throughout the country. Uh, you know, your personal redemption story after being injured three plays into the game for last sure. year, you know, th this was probably a, a dream. Uh, you know, how, how did it feel to actually be out there competing, and, and did it last year kind of influence how you felt going into this game? Oh, I, I had a lot of emotion coming to this game. Uh, last year, I felt like I let our guys down, and uh, I felt like I could have made a difference in that game last year. And uh, I just wanted to come out and, and be the guy that, that made the difference. And uh, uh, they used me in all tips, like different types of ways. I mean, catching passes, playing quarterback, doing little jet sweeps, all types of stuff. I even went up to our coaches on defense and was like, hey, put me in on that last drive. And I, I'll come down with a ball or something like that. But, uh, I mean, it means a lot. Uh, Man, it felt good to, to, to get back at, the, at those guys. That's great. Well, congratulations. It was a great, exciting Stag Bowl and the most outstanding player of it and the national two-time national champion, TJ Josie. Thanks, Thanks a lot. We should move on to the next phase of our conversation where we talk about uh, the Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, and Coach of the Year. The only kind of caveats or the only kind of requirements here is that these guys have to come from the uh, first team All-America team that uh, we posted and announced on d3football.com earlier today. The, uh, and if typically, if you uh, limit it to quarterback, running back, wide receiver, then the guys we're uh, talking about on the offensive side are Jackson Erdman of St. John's, Markeith Miller of Mary Hardin-Baylor, Lee Anthony Reasonover of Eureka, Justin Hill of Mountain Union, Richard Johnson of East Texas Baptist. So let's just talk about offense for the moment. Uh, Jackson Erdman earlier on Friday, of course, was uh, awarded the Gallardi Trophy in a, uh, in, a, in a route going away, getting 93% uh, of uh, all possible points. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty impressive. And I, it's, it's not just uh, reflective of his, uh, his great overall Gallardi Trophy candidacy, but he also had a great season. Um, I think typically, you know, we're really talking about Markeith Miller as the other guy here. We could talk about Justin Hill. Uh, you know, guys who don't make the playoffs aren't automatically eliminated, but Richard Johnson was not the top kind of vote-getter in our mind at wide receiver, and Reasonover was not the top guy at running back. So it's really kind of an Erdman-Miller-Hill conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think with Reasonover, Eureka made the playoffs. They got dominated in the first round by UW-Whitewater. Great player. Not necessarily at the level you need to be at to, to be the player of the year. I think you're right that it's a three-man race. And if you look at what we saw on the field tonight from Miller and Hill, guys who've had monster games during the season have done it against great competition. I didn't think either one was great tonight. They both were fine. You know, they contributed to their team. Hill, five catches, 71 yards. Miller, uh, 25 carries for 90 yards and a touchdown. 90 out of the 303, yep. Yeah, you know, but I mean – I think you got to go with Jackson Erdman because you look at the, the, the biggest game of St. John's season um, at Mary Harden-Baylor. He throws for 400, 418 yards. Did have the three interceptions in that game, but he was playing hurt most of the second half. And then you go back to, to the other big games of, of the season for St. John's, St. Thomas, Bethel, and St. John's. They, they didn't win those games, you know, 14-3, 40 or 20. Yeah. You know, 34-16, they dominated Bethel. And St. Thomas, one playoff team and one team that certainly would have done fine had it made the playoffs. Yeah, I didn't think this was the as uh, easy a conversation. Anybody want to make the case for Markeith Miller? Break it down for me, fellas. Yes, I will. Uh, 30 touchdowns, uh, was it, uh, this year? Yeah, uh, and 29 coming into yep, the night. So, so yeah. Plus one. Uh, over 1,800 yards, 1,864, I think that puts him at uh, in 15 games. Those are just some unheard of numbers uh, for me uh, when it comes to running back. And I think even though he didn't have outstanding numbers tonight, he did everything he needed to. And in terms of his leadership and growth this year, there was a definite change in uh, his patience and his leadership that made him who he was. So I, I do think he is a legitimate discussion here, uh, You know whether or not we go with him. I just at least want to outline the fact that he has uh, been that player this year. And there's no doubt, for example, that uh, Mark Keith Miller had a much better stag bowl this year than he did last year. So there's definitely a huge growth curve over the course of a year for him. 
Adam, welcome. Thanks for your help. Hi. Go to d3football.com. Oh, wait. This is tomorrow. You've already <laughs> read d3football.com and read the, the game story. Uh, yeah, just to echo what we said, you know, when we were talking about the Gallardi Trophy and uh, Urban's case for that was, you know, it, it's hard to think about how far he brought St. John's. You know, the, the program hadn't been at this level in a decade, maybe longer. Uh, so I think that, uh, you know, the offense has changed around him. And the difference that he has made has changed the trajectory of that program. Uh, and I think he earned it. And I think arguably played in a tougher conference against tougher defenses than Miller did this year. Uh, certainly some teams. So I, I think uh, Jackson Erdman is going to be, I would imagine he'll be the choice, a Gallardi winner and the offensive player of the year. I should just make the uh, make the offensive numbers case for him right now because we haven't mentioned them. In his 13 games this season, a 65.1% completion percentage through for 3,540 yards, 47 touchdowns against eight interceptions. He also had a, another 176 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Like the other guys that we talk about, uh, typically at this level for this award. He's a guy who didn't play a ton in third quarters and fourth quarters of games, so that's another thing to keep in mind for just about everybody. But uh, I'm feeling like, uh, unless Greg has something else to say, Greg has got the, the, the magic bullet here, the smoking gun. If I have anything to say, I would just say Jackson Erdman did some of his best work against some of the best teams that they played. You know, two weeks ago, he had a phenomenal game dinged up against this Mary Harden Baylor national champion defense. And, you know, he had a couple of cracks at the end of that game to, to win it. Um, we could very well have been talking about St. John's tonight. So, you know, doing what he did, even in the losing effort against Mary Harden Baylor in the quarterfinal, you know, sort of validates the rest of his season. So be it resolved then, Jackson Erdman is the most outstanding player uh, for d3football.com in the 2018 season. So congratulations. I'm sure it will sit there on a shelf right next to that Gallardi Trophy. Also, we should come up with some sort of plaque and uh, fund it for that yeah, to actually At least happen. get to do like an origami <coughs> folding trophy that he could put up. <laughs> like like from NASA or something? Something like right, that. Right, ni right next to the best hair trophy I think he deserves. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty impressive. It uh, is. Uh, he really has. You guys are right. And the the thing I think I thought was most salient was that he has elevated the level of that program back into the fact uh, into the area where they are a national title contender this year, or we're a national title contender. Next, defensive player of the year. The guys who were the top vote getters are the top people in consideration at uh, each of the various uh, you know uh, parts of the defense. Uh, Harry Henschler up front. Uh, was the the top guy at uh, on, the, on the defensive line? Eric Stevenson for Wheaton at the linebackers, Lewis Berry cornerbacks, and uh, Jefferson Fritz at uh, at the safety position. I think those are the those are the candidates we want to put forward. So be it moved. We're not going to do Robert's Rules of Order. Sorry. I felt like when we came into the day that. We were going to see Lewis Berry play, and we were going to see Jefferson Fritz play, and those were probably the guys we were going to end up talking about anyway. So anybody feel like we could talk about two guys, Adam? Adam's going to talk. I mean, as a defensive back, I think Keith and I are totally in favor of that. Uh, personally, <laughs> I'm, I, Keith probably had 12 interceptions in his career because he got a third of that in one game. I'm very envious of Jefferson Fritz and his 12 interceptions and he made big plays tonight and I think if, we're, if we came into this game saying it's those two who's going to have the better game tonight you know Lou Barry made some plays tonight he also got beat on that uh, hitch and go in the first big pass play of the game um, I didn't see Jefferson Fritz get beat I saw him break up a pass in the end zone you know lay out for one we saw him get the interception uh, that was kind of a gift uh, but I think between those two I think Fritz had the better performance tonight Maybe the better overall season. Uh, both big time players that make big time plays. You know, Lou Barry. The, the most memorable play of the season, I think we can agree, was Lou Barry against John Carroll. Yeah, that, ripping the ball away and run, running it back for a touchdown. Single handedly, uh, basically changed the game. ice in the game yeah. for yeah. Um, I think they're both good choices. I, I think uh, you know Eric Stevenson at Wheaton and Frankie Feaster at Muhlenberg are also good choices i'd be fine with either of those but i think it does come down to barry and fritz because they played on the two best teams and they made the most plays for those two teams yeah i thought feaster was was outstanding in the postseason for muhlenberg obviously had a great game against the old alma mater but uh was good in the in the mount union game as well but 
I, I like Lewis Berry here, actually, for this. <clears throat> I, I think you could, if you just want to boil it down to six touchdowns by a defensive player, um, even in 15 games, he's obviously playing on a defense with a, with a ton of other talented guys. But to just be around the ball that much, you know, a defensive player scored two touchdowns, three touchdowns, that's amazing. A guy has six touchdowns. They came in big games, right, the John Carroll game, playoff games, Muhlenberg. I, I mean, I, it's just tough to wrap my, my mind around the fact that you have you have a defensive player who scored a, as much as, as some offensive players. And the thing people don't realize, if you haven't had a chance to see him play or see him in person, you know, he's a track star. He's been an All-American in track before. Yeah. This is his first year as an All-American in football. And, you know, he's he's short. And being a short cornerback is not easy. And he's super fast, but he doesn't just rely on his speed. He's not a one-dimensional guy. I mean, he jumps up and was, he was breaking up passes for T.J. Josie today who has a clear height advantage on him. He's an all-around player. We see him blitzing off the edge a lot. Uh, he does everything. Uh, I mean, he's a really, really talented Division three football player. I think he's impactful in so many ways of the game. Well, look, both of these guys have uh, saved the day uh, at least once this season. Fritz in that uh, St. John's game, if I remember correctly. Uh, Lewis Berry in the uh, John Carroll game you were talking about. I was going to bring that up, but you did already. So, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to base it just on that. Uh, I would say Fritz's performance tonight was he got an interception, but that was just such a poorly thrown ball in desperation at the end of a half scenario. Uh, you or I probably could have caught that one, Pat, and we don't have any skills. I would have knocked it down, I think. That's all. Okay, got it. <laughs> uh, so, look, the story of Lewis Berry this season has been an incredible one. Uh, Jefferson Fritz is going to be up for this war probably at least one out of the next two years, if I had to guess. What do we think about Jefferson Fritz? He's the best! And that's not a reason to, you know, not give it to him. But at the same time, I just think Barry has the overall edge in terms of storyline throughout the season. It's just been a really, really phenomenal year for a player like him. I haven't said anything so far, but I'm I'm basically on uh, in Camp Barry on Team Barry on this. I feel like uh, I feel like that's where I, where I would go. Keith looks. Uh, I'm not going to describe yeah, I'm, what's I'm on your stunned. face. I thought I was going to be the uh, the lone outlier. I was going to lose, but I was going to ride for Lewis Barry. Um, but it looks like uh, it looks like uh, he's got the votes. He's got the votes. I think he's got the votes. I mean, Frank brought up a great point though about that St. John's game. I mean, if Jefferson Fritz doesn't make two huge plays in that game against the best quarterback and the best offensive player in the country, as uh-huh. we just decided, then Mary Hart wow. Beller doesn't even make it here. Uh, using our own awards against us. I know. I know. <laughs> I we have gone circles here. We should have done this award first, <laughs> then the offense, because that was a no-brainer. That's the, da- I- that's the danger of the live, uh, live decision-making. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll-, no. we'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. No, this is um, this is how sausage is made. Did we, I felt like more like pretzels the way we're twisting our, oh, our brains back and forth. Mm, pretzels. You know what goes good with pretzels? Beer. Another time. Yeah, because these pretzels are definitely making All me right, thirsty. Lou Berry. I, I am a big fan of his. Big big fan. Lou Berry is the uh, 2018 D3Football.com Defensive Player of the Year. Can't wait to interview him. Moving on to Coach of the Year. Now, Coach of the Year, of course, we had four regional Coaches of the Year, and uh, those are guys that all can be considered, but that is not the only, those are not the only candidates uh, we often talk about. Who is the guy or who's the coach who brought his team, you know, the furthest or whatever, you know, did not, not, I'm not talking about advancing deep in the playoffs, but did more than what was expected out of them this year. There's often a candidate who could, we can make a case for there. Um, we always usually make a, a strong case for the national champ or the other team that plays in the Stag Bowl. Um, and I did not come in with a list of candidates on this one like I had in my head for... Uh, well, why, why don't you start with the four regional coaches of the year? Uh, wow. Nate Milne from Muhlenberg, who's a strong candidate. He's a strong candidate for sure. I'm looking at the South Region Coach of the Year, which was Jim Bargraff from Johns Hopkins. Yeah. Another strong candidate. These are two names that Keith and I talked we about had walking back in the press what? conference tonight. <laughs> uh, Ralph Icerny of RPI was the East oh, Region Coach that's of the another Year. Good one. Larry Kinbaum of Washu was our that's North Region pick. Gary Foshing of St. John's was our South uh, West Region pick. You know, and uh, also not on this list, of course, is uh, Kevin Bullis of Whitewater. I think that's a program that uh, improved over its preseason expectations. Um, you know, uh, the, the two coaches who were here tonight, obviously, on that list as well. 
Those are people we should at least talk about um, or consider. And uh, uh, Nate Milne at Muhlenberg, who you mentioned already, that's a, that's a really good thought as well. Uh, Can I throw one more into the mix? Don Morell at Wabash. After oh, everything yeah. that they had to deal with and going 9-1 and one and nearly making the playoffs, I thought that was uh, a unique and impressive coaching performance for him. Yeah, that's true. That's the kind of thing that we would like to also – we would uh, typically try to recognize. I'd like to, you know, second, let's say, at this point, Jim Margraff. Uh, I really think coming into the season, I didn't really see them being that team at all. And when they lost to Susquehanna earlier in the season, that team could have easily cashed in the chips and said, oh, well, for this season. He got them to turn it around and improve game by game you know every game became a playoff game for him basically because there's no way they could lose another game after that game especially in conference and they became a team that really got within what 10 yards of tying Mount Union in the fourth quarter last week nobody saw that coming I think the surprise factor and everything else it comes down to coaching in that yeah he had talent we get it now but we didn't see it in the beginning of the season, and he was the one that had to keep it all together, and that's why I put him into that second position. They're going to end up in the top five in our final poll. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, they came in to the playoffs 13th. There was probably Four, 14th. I keep saying 13, though. <laughs> Maybe they're 13 on my ballot. Could be. In any case, um, there were times this season I don't think I had them in the top 25. I, I definitely dropped them out at one point. I know yeah. that I did. Losing to Susquehanna would do that, yeah. Right, yeah. and, you know, we didn't, we thought. Maybe this was the year the Hopkins run ends in the Centennial because they <laughs> tend to dominate that conference. Muhlenberg um, was out in front for a long time. And then once they, they won that Muhlenberg game, suddenly uh, it, it was a, a, a team we had to keep an eye on again. And then the way they – really, the, when they put Frostburg. 58 on Frostburg, then we were starting to be like, okay – yeah, these guys are dangerous. Oh, it's funny because I feel like this award is based so much on our expectations in July yeah. and sure. who exceeded them or who came out of nowhere. And uh, you know, it's funny about Hopkins. So you know, I covered them for many years, being the around the Mid Atlantic columnist and the around the Nation columnist. I, I've seen them play. I've talked to Coach Margraf many, many times, and I feel I was always the one overvaluing them. I can't remember how many times in the playoff bracket. You know, in, in my uh, online tournament challenge, I would say, oh, yeah, this is the year. This is the year they get over the hump. This is the year they get to the third round. Yeah. And I would pick them and pick them and pick them. This was the first year I can remember not doing that. And then they make it to the <laughs> semifinals. But, yeah, you're right. When, when they hung 58 on Frostburg, uh, that was a memorable. And last week, I think a lot of people agree. I mean, the word around here today was Mount Union should have lost that game that Hopkins outplayed them. Uh, and, and I think those two performances alone, and like Frank said, with, with the pressure of losing the first conference game of the year and knowing they had to win out. And not just not only did they turn things around and win and win the conference, they dominated. I mean, they absolutely dominated some quality teams from the Centennial Conference this year. Uh, I think his job this year was very impressive and and you know, now it's you've made it this far can they sustain it? Do they get back? Are they are they that new team that's in the, you know, quarterfinals every year I, I think that's definitely possible uh, that, these are all really good points I had not I did not come into this evening thinking about Jim Margraff and some great points have been made here yeah I feel like I'm, I've, I've been talked into it because <laughs> I wanted to talk about Nate Milne at Muhlenberg I thought that was another program that exceeded expectations and, and had tip to the centennial if we're talking about two of their best programs yeah. uh, being coach of the year candidates I, I think you make a great point about about Wabash because that's something that uh, you know what what happened with Evan Hansen um, that could tear a team apart and and you wouldn't blame him and that's nothing a football coach expects to deal with ever you yeah. know in their career and it's right. yeah it's I mean it's just like you know when when life becomes more important than football and, and maybe to some degree football is all you have when when something hits you that hard uh, when you when you you know you lose one of one of your own players and and when it's suicide it's it's you can't make sense of it either. Yeah. Um, and in the beginning of the season and then having to coach through it and keep that team together and just the way that whole program and the Hanson family tackled it head on was was so uh, impressive. Um, 
and, and to that point also, if we're looking at the emotional aspect, I think Nate Milne has a little bit of that too, you know, taking over for a guy like Mike Donnelly, who was a legend there, who, you know, he learned under was his offensive coordinator. And then coach Donnelly passes away last year and, you know, to have the team play inspired football and, you know, have him walk that fine line of, I are, I'm taking over a program. It's already a good program that was created by this man who's a legend on campus who most of these players knew and loved, who's not with us anymore, and then finding that right balance and nuance of putting his stamp on the program too. And the way he just made a few tweaks and a few changes to get them to that next level uh, was also very impressive. My uh, pregame show, uh, the trend of the season was about redemption in so many different ways. The Evan Hansen story and then the Monum Bell win and – uh, you know the uh, Grove City uh, story uh, that we uh, chronicled early in the season cool. and everything else, uh, and Mary Harden Baylor winning is a redemption story when you think about it from last year, and honestly Jim Margraff taking his team from the Sus- Susquehanna loss to uh, where they were to me is a story of redemption as well. Not I'm not re-upping my uh, discussion there. I'm just saying this has been just one big season of redemption for so many different teams and people. Yeah, I think, I think briefly you do just have to have to give a nod to, to Coach Fredenberg. Missed the first three games, dealt with 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 family issues the week of the Whitewater game. Yeah, you know, it's just the national semifinals. What's that about? <laughs> and and you know he said in the post game he's he's listening to to someone have to decide whether they want to come to the game or go to the hospital. You know, and and that just shows you how serious uh, football is in that family. But obviously, you know, fam- family is more important. So, look, we're only going to pick one coach here, but you got five, six <laughs> yeah. guys who could easily be the coach of the year. Just a couple of more points about Pete Fredenberg, and it's amazing that to me that it, it took this long to to get to his name <laughs> in the discussion. Two yeah. things: one, he's got the trophy, uh, and two. He beat a lot of guys that we might also be talking about for this award. Gary Fashing, uh, Kevin Bullis we talked about for, for just a second or two there. And, you know, Vince Karras tonight. So, um, you know, it, to the victor goes the spoils often. Man, it's a good question. Yeah, fair, good point. Fair. Fredenberg versus Margraf, I think, is where we land, maybe. Well, then it comes down to how you feel about the who did the most with the least. You know, Fredenberg had a stag bowl runner-up. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, but he also had the the adversity. We don't usually go show of hands. We got five people here. We want to do show of hands. Yeah, go ahead. One more point that that I mentioned yeah, earlier. The chair and, uh, recognizes the gentleman from Cincinnati. And uh, you know, I, I, Washington I, and Lee, please use your D three <laughs> names. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think Coach Fred did a great job. I think he's a great guy. I do have some qualms about voting Coach of the Year for a coach that was suspended for the first three games of the season. And his team dominated without him uh, when Coach Harmon took over. Uh, I don't know that. That's I'm just putting that out there. And I think he did a great job. Big fan of his, but uh, that that is a, a something that is making me lean in the other direction. Look, if so if, if, if Fredenberg and you know Markeith Miller, uh, we didn't choose. We didn't we didn't choose Jefferson <laughs> Fritz either. Yeah. All those guys are going to be fine. They'll just go home. They got a national cha- – they don't care about us. They're, they're <laughs> they partying with the Walnut and Bronze Trophy right now. Who, you know, we who brought the buzzkill to her tonight? No, I mean, this party is – And also, who, if, if we wrap this sucker it's, up. It's a point that – <laughs> no, Sucker. Keep, keep good point. I'm sucker. done. Uh, no, I mean, what a total team effort, though. What a total team effort by Mary Harden Baylor. Yeah. And they have, they have coaching depth. They have playing depth. That's, that's how you win a national championship. I think we move to close discussion and go to a vote. Does that sound good? Uh, I will, we'll have a show of hands so nobody has to uh, – no, we'll say I, I versus nay. No, we have a roll call vote. Okay, Make we'll do, a decision. We'll do show of hands. Show of hands uh, in favor of Pete Fredenberg as D3Football.com National Coach of the Year. Uh, in favor of Jim Margraff. We've got one more. Oh, is it in favor of who? Okay. That was um, uh, the motion carried uh, with a uh, veto-proof majority. I don't know if we need to say that. So the uh, the D3Football.com Coach of the Year for 2018 is Jim Margraff of Johns Hopkins, who uh, I think was not, uh, like I said, was not really someone I was thinking about when this conversation started. A very enjoyable guy to talk to, by the way, uh, just for interview purposes. That's true. That's not really a factor. No. Um, but that is true. That's happened. Uh, let's see. We have the other thing we like to talk about in this podcast is kind of where things shake out in our final top 25 ballots. I will say this, that 
before the game started tonight, I had cast my final ballot provisionally with Mary Harden Baylor winning. Maybe we don't talk about provisional ballots here in an election year, but uh, I had I had St. John's number two. Um, I, I'm kind of on the fence as to whether I go continue with St. John's number two or, or move Mount Union into the number two spot. Uh, I don't think I have a lot of people uh, agreeing with me on that so far, but that's something I wanted to throw out there because you make the case that St. John's is the second best team this year. I, I think you'd do it if if the, the score was 31-14 tonight and, and Mary Harden Baylor had dominated Mount Union. I don't think that was the case. I think Mount Union you know, had a chance to win. They had a fourth and four in the final minutes to, to get in the end zone, get the ball back in, inside the final minute. I think that's a one, it's a one-score game, and you know, I don't think you parse the three points the 21-18 final versus the 24-16 final. So much, I think, essentially it's the same game. If Mount Union played St. John's, who would win? Uh, if Mount, well, I mean, that's a great question. I, I feel like St. John's would win the I, I uh, State I, your I will, opinion. I will finish Pat's thought. Mm. St. John's will win the gay. Mm. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Is that all? <laughs> there was just uh, one. He, he got the full thought out. Uh, Keith, weren't you the one earlier that was talking about the, the different paths that these two teams had to get here? Sure. And I think maybe that goes in favor of uh, or against Mount Union. I mean, I, I don't know what they prove by getting here when we all expected them to get here. I think St. John's being the second best team. And I think we we talked to some Mary Harden Baylor folks who, who would probably agree that that was the tougher game. Uh, I, I can definitely see it going either way. And it is unusual that it's not even a semifinalist we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about a quarterfinalist here in St. John's. But I think if it was St. John's and Mount Union, I, I would not be surprised at all to see St. John's win that game. I will say that I'm going to keep it as the one-two punch of uh, Mary Harden-Baylor one and Mount Union two because I, I really was questioning whether last week was a trend or a dud, basically, for D'Angelo Fulford and company. And I also look at the Jared Ruth factor not being there last week as something that makes that game kind of a throwaway game insofar as I can't really put too much emphasis on it when I have a game like tonight to look at where they had the full cast back, at least with Ruth at 50-plus percent power out there. My, my view is that this was a close enough game that they actually you know, led in stats, uh, key stats after three quarters of play. And... I really think that Mount Union is the number two team, that St. John's is close behind, but uh, that they've proven themselves tonight that that last week was a dud. Well, here's what's interesting, that we're talking about Mount Union 2 or St. John's 2 and not Whitewater and St. John's 3-4. Yeah. yeah. Right, we're not discussing that at, at all. Right. And the consensus among the early voting – I've listened to way too many politics podcasts this year. The consensus among the early voting is St. John's at three. Yeah, and I'm, I'm with Frank on this. I think Mount Union is the two. They proved it here tonight, basically going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Mount Union, but I don't have any qualms with anyone else who wants to, to vote it differently. I certainly was open to considering it, and I think if it was a 31-14 you know, game where, where Mount U Mary Harden-Baylor clearly dominated Mount Union, then you look at a team like St. John's that played them to the final score. As, uh, as, as the better team. But we did, Adam makes a great point, we did ask this while we were in the, uh, in the post game and we got uh, a little bit of a, uh, an answer. Seemed to indicate that St. John's may have been the best team that Mary Harden Baylor played. And I think this is clearly between two teams for the number two spot. I think number four might be wide open. Whoa. We're okay, not, so not going to go <laughs> spot by spot in the poll. Well, I'll, no, be, I'll be honest. <laughs> that's why I didn't turn in a provisional uh, at this point because actually – what this result would do would actually knock around probably yeah, about effect. three or four different spots for me, and yeah. I, I felt it was a waste of time to put it down as provisional because I'd be telling you it would change four different, five different teams on me. Yeah, well, uh, just don't forget to no, put I'm not your, going. your vote in because we got 15 in so far. Uh, not that we release, uh, you know, with a number of precincts reporting, for example. When we're imbibing, I'll go and do it, okay? Oh, gosh, we got to get to that. Um 
anything else. I mean, that you know, those are, I think those are the big decisions. Obviously, we talk about uh, some teams that obviously played their way into some pretty awesome final rankings. Johns Hopkins played its way into a really nice ranking at the end. Muhlenberg played its way into. And you know who's going to be the top twenty-five? <laughs> yeah, yeah buddy. Let's hear I, it. I thought we were going to get get that uh, every thought of yours music playing, so we can have, each have a final thought. Right? And that's going to be my final thought. And they played Hopkins the first game of the season. They played Hopkins pretty well for the first half. That's right. It was a, uh, I was watching that at my desk at work, sadly. Uh, and it was like a 30, you know, 31-23 at the half. Yeah, and, and I was like, wow. I was like, Macon has offense this year. This should be fun. And then I uh, final was 63-31. And then, uh, it's going to be the same same old year for Macon. You know, I thought there would be like 7-3, you know, 8-2. If they beat Hampton Sydney, I'd be happy. Them upsetting John Carroll in the in the postseason, same day that trying. I mean, St. Norbert kicked the crap out of trying. Um, you had another. What was the other big up? Oh, Muhlenberg winning at Delaware Valley. Uh, that was a closer game and not not as much of an upset because a lot of us picked it in, in quick hits. But for for all, me, all of us picked it in quick hits. If if I have to if I have to do a every thought like a, a standout moment from this year besides here tonight, um, I think the upsets early in the playoffs uh, really really made it for me. I will uh, pick uh, one that's off the board a little bit uh, because that's what I do. And uh, that's going to be what I did on uh, my show In the Huddle with James Baker, uh, the ECAC Bowl announcement show. And we found a reaction video a few days later from Grove City. And to see, you know, look, we come out here to do these playoff games, especially Stag Bowl, and it's the pinnacle, and we sort of forget the, about the other, you know, how many. I, I think second round four, we forget about the rest for a little bit here, the 230-ish uh, teams that are out there. But, I mean, there are moments to go 7-3 season and to win, to get into a bowl game after going 0-33 for, for three and a half seasons, and then uh, to win that bowl game, it was just such an exhilarating story for those players, for that team. It just it reminded me why I do this. You know, people asked uh, on uh, Twitter today why we do do this, and you know that 99.9%, uh, you know they won't go to the uh, NFL or some other pro football thing, is part of it. But that moment right there, if I could just encapsulate that moment and put it on reel-to-reel -reel and keep watching it, I would because it would keep me doing what I do with you guys, and I'm sure you guys would say the same thing. We're on, uh, we're on final thoughts, so we're sending it around the table for uh, people for final thoughts. Repeat final thoughts. All right, I'll go on with mine, and it, it kind of echoes what, what Frank was saying too, but mine is just gratitude. Uh, I think why we do this is because of the gratitude of the people I, I've talked to so many coaches this year and it's funny now that we have younger coaches like Nate Milne who was reading the website back when he was playing yeah. uh, and, and was posting as a as a commenter back back in the day and he was so excited that you know I was at a Muhlenberg game and he just wanted to talk to me and wanted to be on the podcast uh, and just seeing that and then also you know the coaches have been doing this for a long time coach Fred Larry Kinbaum at, at Wash U. Uh, just the conversations I've gotten to have with guys like that over the years. Glenn Caruso has been fantastic. You know, let, trusted me to tell the story of his wife and her, her battle with cancer and just the gratitude that that whole family showed. Coach Fred, you know, showing gratitude for the story I wrote about his daughter this week. Man, you, you did some rough stuff this year when you add in the, the Evan Hansen story. I, too. I like, I mean, yeah, the, uh, Coach Morell, uh, you know, that conversation will stick with me forever. Uh, I don't like to write about football that much. I like to write about people and their stories behind the game. We're, we're, and, we're, uh, we're down with that. That works. There was a DV sport official that came over to me tonight and said, who do you represent? And I said, D3 football. He's like, I love your site. I'm an official. And I said, love your site. I'm like, well, referees read our stuff. I wrote about referees yep, this year. Exactly. I wrote about officials this year. Hey, I'm Unsung heroes, Ding. man. O-line uh, and officials. Yeah. So uh, I just want to reciprocate that gratitude to all the, the coaches and players who take their time and, and have conversations with us. Uh, and the coaches who ask me how I'm doing when I call to interview them, that makes such a difference. And you know, I think of guys like Coach Caruso and uh, Coach Kinbaum and, and the difference they've made and the conversations we've had that aren't even about football that stick with me. So very grateful for them. And, uh, yeah, it's been a really fun season. I'm going to miss talking to them for a while. Um, I mean, for my final thought, I'm, I'm left with the image of Mary Harden Baylor walking off the field celebrating, like TJ Josie said, with uh, Frank 
post game on the field, you know, that feeling of watching somebody else celebrate in the national championship game. Tonight was their night. And for me, it, it feels very much like we're about to enter into another period of time here where we see a lot of games in the last weekend or two weekends between these two teams. Um, they are, I, I think they have separated themselves as the two elites and this is this is the new purple match and i you know i i don't see any reason why that's gonna stop happening both of tonight's quarterbacks are juniors um not that replacing graduating seniors is an issue for either of these teams they're great year after year but mary harden baylor now has taken that next step where they are i mean the number of defensive players that have been fantastic for them over the years, Hayston Adams and guys like that that have graduated, not missed tonight. They were they were fantastic. They just keep plugging and playing and I don't I don't see a reason why they need to repaint this field in the next year. Um, <laughs> they need to add an eye somewhere. <laughs> the end zones that we're talking about? Yeah. Got some angry folks from uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin. What? And uh, Maryland, I guess. I was going to say, man, but, we're running out of states there. But that is – I mean, that's why we play the games. That's why we have the tournament. It's fantastic. But um, I, I'm i not betting against these two teams being right back here next year. Yeah, well, for all the grief we gave. Coach Catanzaro and his uh, and, and his crew, too, for the bracket that they put together. Ended up being a pretty great tournament. I, when I mentioned the upsets, forgot to say RPI over Brockport. Um, and, and, of course, the Hopkins over Frostburg won. And then you end up getting the two best teams on the field together tonight. You get a game that comes down to the final possession. It's way better than any other system we could we could think of. Five weeks of, of playoff games, highs and lows. And though, even though 31 of the playoff teams don't get to end on a high note, like Mary Harden Baylor, uh, they got to spend another week playing. You got to spend another week watching. Parents get to go out, travel for another week, and and, and I think it's a it's a beautiful thing. And if we're thanking people, this is when we always what thank our family who puts up with us being gone and all that stuff too. So, in case Greg's wrong though, guys, uh, I just want to remind uh, the city of Shenandoah to uh, make sure they order the new stencil a little bit earlier for the field, uh, just to <laughs> avoid the wet paint issues. That we uh, saw this week, uh, that that definitely was an interesting uh, problem, for, and Mount Union didn't seem thrilled by it even more so than uh, Mary Harden Baylor. No harm, no foul. Game got nope. played. Yep. Nobody nobody got hurt because of they slipped on paint. I don't think. And there was not uh, one of the end zones did not say Union. <laughs> At least not solely Union. We'd anyway. love to see Frank's alma mater make it someday, but it, it make was, it again it was, someday. My bad dog. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, say goodnight. Well, yeah, uh, and I, I, I don't, uh, I don't know if I have another final thought uh, above and beyond what's already been said. It's been a fantastic season covering Division Three football. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, it still continues to be a lot of fun every year. Thankfully, because why the heck else would I spend, you know, a Friday night in December cooped up in a press box with you guys when I could be hanging with my family or, you know singing in a concert somewhere or, you know, jogging three and a half miles very, very slowly, something along those lines. I, I've muted all the other mics. If there are things you want to say, you're going to have to raise your hand now because we're down to credits and getting out of here. But uh, it's been fun, and I really appreciate uh, everybody who, uh, you know, is, is supportive of D3Football.com and supportive of letting us do our thing and letting us cover you and letting us bring – you know, the the good stuff about Division Three football and about NCAA Division Three in general to the masses. We have kind of become this cheerleader for Division Three over the course of the last 20 years, which was not a thing that I thought we were going to be when this thing first started. I don't know if I remember when this thing first started because we're talking about 1997, so... I won't uh, I won't delve any more deeply into that. There's like a whole podcast out there about how this started. If you want to listen to the Beautiful Work podcast, I'm not going to plug that anymore here uh, on this pod, but you're going to say something. I forgot that existed. That's all. <laughs> I thought you did an interview with someone else. <laughs> yeah. It's every once in a while, people ask me questions, and 
that's sometimes awkward. But uh, yeah, this has been uh, this has been a great year. We really appreciate all the support for the podcast, all the support for the website, all the support for NCAA Division Three football in general. So yes, as Keith mentioned, thank you to everybody who puts up with us not being here for large swaths of time, especially in November and December. Especially in December, the good thing is that this Stag Bowl was on December 14th, and we get to spend a whole week and a half at home uninterrupted before Christmas comes. So there's that, and, uh, and we appreciate uh, everybody who allows us to do this. My final thought of the season, I guess, is that I am happy that we got to have a Stag Bowl in a new place, and it happened, and it happened well, and people seemed to enjoy themselves, and, you know, there wasn't 19 inches of snow or, you know, 40-mile-an-hour winds blowing kickoffs back, that sort of thing. All right, let's see if I can spitball this guy. This is uh, edition number 233 of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, season 12, episode 34, released on a Saturday, December 15th, 2018. Keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the rest of 2018 and into the 2019 season. We still have, uh, not currently on the site yet, but we'll have more post-game columns from Salem. Uh, Adam Turr will do his final D3Football.com Around the Nation year in review, so you will see that as well. And we'll have, uh, you know, we'll have continued to do coverage on the coaching carousel. And we'll have a podcast in January. So keep that in mind. We'll be back for that. The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at DJMentos.com. Thanks to Greg Thomas, to Frank Rossi, to Adam Turr, and, of course, to Keith McMillan, our uh, sidekick. Sidekick is the wrong word. That's not in the rundown, but the originator of the Around the Nation podcast on d3football.com. You can uh, message us on d3football.com. You can reach us on Twitter by uh, reaching out to I am at d3football. Keith is at d3keith. Adam is at Adam Turr. Frank is at Frank Rossi. Greg Thomas is at Wally Wabash. And always use the d3fb hashtag. We have, a we have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Log on and register with a legitimate email address at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.